to the Guest Life Podcast, episode 39. We're so fortunate to have Rob in the in the studio today. Um, I've known Rob uh, probably eight years now. Um, we worked together just before I went out on my own um, in business. So, you, you know, we stayed in touch, stayed friends, you know, seeing each other's journeys from a little bit further past. Um, so it's Rob Rampato. He's the senior site superintendent at Ingenuity Developments. Um, and we're so happy to have you, man. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, like, like I said, yeah, seven years, man. You you've done quite a quite success here, man. It's been it's been unbelievable. So kudos kudos to you, man. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, so. And uh, so we're gonna hear about Rob's journey today again, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. Um, you know, we're always talking about you know leaders, young leaders. Uh, it's funny. I was telling a story about Rob today, and I was just like. Man, like, I don't know how old he is. I think he's pretty young. And then I was like, wait a minute. I was like, eight years ago, we were working together. Was, he, he must have been really young running that job. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Um, 35. So, that, yeah, I was 20, 27, 28 when I was doing that project. Yeah. yeah so, so uh, yeah, we're going to talk about a little bit of his journey, how he got started, and uh, and what he's got in store for his future. But, uh, you know, the big thing is, is, is getting like-minded people like Rob, um, picking their brain, really finding out, you know, what what got you to where you are today yeah. um and, and what keeps you motivated along this journey yeah so just basically to get started uh i never had aspirations of being in the construction industry i actually grew up in a family that owned an insurance company so growing up like i wanted to work for my dad take over the business with my sister and whatnot and it's just so happened that a summer job turned into a full-time career so what was happening was <clears throat> my my old man had bought properties and he was trying to get into some development just as like a side gig. And the one summer I said to him, I said, listen, Pop, like I, I want to just work a summer job. I don't want to work for you this summer. You know, can you get me a job with the GC at the time? And he said, so he said, sure, no problem. As soon as I stepped foot onto the job, like it was like a natural instinct. Like I knew that this is where I wanted to be. And during this summer job, my old man was starting to do these, these classes at night with his staff, like to teach him different commercial insurance and whatnot. And he's like, come, come to the classes after work. And you know, you're obviously going to come to the business. So like, let's, let's see what you interests you or not. So I go to these classes and I did not want to be there. Like I wanted to be back on site, you know, getting, you know, boots on the ground, getting dirty and, I just knew then, like, and I think my father knew at the time too, like I could see how passionate he was like talking about his business and selling insurance. And that was Tim was a passion. And for me, my passion was I wanted to be back on site. And it actually was my old man two weeks before I was going back to school. He's like, listen, I don't think insurance is for you. He's really? Like, oh, yeah. He goes, I really he said it. Yeah. He goes, I really think you, you need to, you know, venture and out and into the construction world i think you'll do a lot better and he's like i could tell you you have a passion for it and two weeks before school started i switched my major from insurance into architecture and then i never looked back so i've been in the industry now 18 years holy been in a superintendent now going on 13 and uh yeah so it, it's been a wild ride i can uh like we talked about before this I have now 
just over 200 million worth of work underneath my belt in the 13 years. In 2019, I achieved my gold seal certification, which was huge for me at the time because I was the youngest person at the company to get that. And it's really, really tough for anybody under 35 to get it because of you know, the experience, the amount of work that you have to have, the courses you have to take. So it, it, it's it's a lot more difficult than getting a diploma. And, and, you know, talk us through that a little bit for anybody tuning in, like, you know, the gold seal in project management or in site supervisor. Yes. How does that work? So the, I got the gold seal in, in uh, superintendent, which basically it's a nationally recognized certification, almost like if you were to say like a business degree MBA is, you know, it's recognized as your master's in business. This would be almost like a master's in construction. Wow. So it really focuses on your your role in the industry and what and to achieve it, you have to have a minimum so many years in the industry, a so many courses, training courses, so many credits. Um you know, you have to have so many millions of dollars worth of work underneath your belt before you can even apply. Once you get all that, it usually it took me about a few years to get it once I got started. Then you submit your application to your local construction association. They review it. They approve it. Then it goes nationally. Then nationally, they have to approve it. Then once that's approved, then you can write an exam to get it. So... <laughs> April 2019, I, I wrote the exam. I passed with flying colors. And I mean, it was probably one of my greatest accomplishments because for me, that really was a huge goal of mine to get. And you'd be surprised like that certification, like opened a lot of doors for me uh, in my career. Like a lot of people looked at me differently, especially at a young age, like having gold sealed certification is definitely not an easy thing to get. A lot of older superintendents or project managers have it, but back then they were able to be grandfathered into the, into the certification. They didn't have to write no tests. They didn't have to take any courses or do any schooling or anything like that because they had 30 plus years in the business. I, at that time, three years ago, I was only like maybe nine years into the business yeah. as a superintendent. So it was very, very rare uh, for somebody my age to get it. So yeah, so it, it's been a wild ride since then. Uh, working on a big project right now, uh, $50 million retirement home, which, wow. is, uh, which is set to be completed towards the end of this year. So, yeah. Um, over the course of the 13 years, I look back and I'm like, man, it's only been 13 years, but yeah. like what I've completed to now has been, it's been crazy. It's been crazy. Well, it's wild because, you know, you always have those times of reflection and for anybody in business or personal development, you, you know, you, you're talking about sometimes, you don't, you, you know, if you look five years ahead and you go, oh man, five years from now, what could be? Mm -hmm. You look five years back and you see what you've done in five years period. It's like, yeah. holy shit, I can get a lot done. So we always say like, you know, when five years feel so far take yeah. a minute and reflect five years back and say wow well i never really thought about it until you asked me to speak on the podcast because i was and i look back i'm like how many years have i been in the industry i'm like oh my god 18 years <laughs> yeah. going on 18 years 13 years as a super i'm like man i was like yeah. you know the one thing that i've i've that i never really did but i started to now is celebrate my accomplishments along the way right because i was always looking at what's the next thing like what's the next goal what's the next project right i was never looking at like okay man i've completed all of this i should be proud but i was always chasing that next thing right yeah. so 
yeah, it, it even to see what the next five years brings, uh, like it could be, it could be out of this world. So when you talk about those dad jokes, right? Everybody, you know, in the car with their friends or family, and they're 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 like, oh, I worked on that project, and I worked yeah. on that project, yeah. and I worked on that project. <laughs> you know, all joking aside, you talk about the impact that those projects have made on the communities and the people and the staff that work there. Like, yeah. you know, some people call it home for, you know, my mom worked at Macassa Lodge, which is a retirement home for yeah. 28 years or something like that. Yeah. So it's funny you bring that up. So that project that we worked on together in Stony Creek and my sister, she lives in Stony Creek and my two nieces are going to be going to that school that Come I built on. there. So it's kind of like a, a, a nice feeling that I built something that, you know, my family is going to, you know, enjoy or be part of, you know, going forward. Right. I'm not doing it just to do it for a paycheck. Like, it's nice to see that my nieces are going to see what their uncle have built. Right. So yeah. that, it's nice. And, I, you know, it's nice driving by seeing things that you've worked on over the years because there's no greater satisfaction than taking something from a piece of paper and seeing it come to life. And how many 20, 30 years down the road, it's still going to be there. Yeah. Right. So. And putting that energy into the product, right? Like understanding that it's not just about the now. It's not just about getting the job done. It's not just about the price. No. It's about, you know, really making an impact and having something that's going to last, you know, the test of time within reason, right? Like, you know, schools don't, schools don't get renovated every 15 years. No. Like I look at every project as if it's my own, like my own dollars and cents going into it. Like, and I treat it as if, you know, you're only as good as your last project. And the way I look at it is, you know, I, I put my blood, sweat and tears into it because I want the community to be proud of something that we're doing. And ultimately I want to be proud of what we're doing as well. So when, when I'm doing a project, I take the owner's consideration as far as their money is concerned and I try and take care of it. And that brought, that building is mine from, you know, first shovel in the ground till I hand over that key. I treat it as it's my own. So, mm -hmm. and I want the community to be involved as well. Like I try and I try and involve, you know, the neighbors as much as possible. I don't want any bad blood. I want, I want everybody to be proud of what's happening. So I try to work well with everybody. Yeah. It's a really good point when you talk about that. Like, you know, even uh, I remember it was near the peach festival where we were parking in that lot yeah. over there and uh, you know, having that relationship, you know, I have a buddy of mine that owns a small contracting company. Um, and he, he gives uh, mailbox flyers. You know, he goes, he's starting a job. He's going to be there for a couple months. He goes, you know, each neighboring property and, and puts a mailbox flyer and just say, Hey, if there's anything going on yeah. that's, that you don't like, you know, give us a call. And I think, a lot of people don't love change, especially within their community, no, no. and especially when it disrupts their life flow. And yeah. you know, I live uh, I live down by Lock Street, and I remember the road was shut down a couple of years ago, and and people were just bitching constantly. Yeah. And I went, "Do you remember riding down? Did you driving or riding your bike down that road? It was horrible. I can't wait for it to be done." Yeah, the pain comes with you yeah, know, exactly. The, like I get it. It's it's a little bit of suffering, but in the end, it will be something better to look at. Right? It won't be an eyesore. So what the the project that I'm working on? It used to be a previously abandoned hospital, and it just sat there, and it was decrepit, and we tore it down, and now we're building a beautiful retirement home. Amazing. And it, it's going to bring up the value of everybody's home around the area. Totally. And just so. I mean, I get it. It's painful, but in the end, you, you, it'll be worth it. So Amazing. And, you, you know, so talk a little bit about, um, 
you know, obviously your journey, you, you, you got your, uh, you got into site superintendents at 23? 23 years of age. Yeah. How, so how was it at so 23? Starting at when I was 18, when I got into the business, I was pretty lucky. I, I had uh, worked with a few different companies actually on some, some cool projects, actually, uh, just as like a labor carpenter, lead hand. I worked on the Ferris wheel downtown Niagara Falls. I worked on the floating stage in Welland, Ontario for Illuminaqua. If anybody's aware of that, it, this, they have musical uh, talent that perform throughout the summer and it floats on, on the water in the Welland Canal. So I've worked on a few of them. And then it just so happens as I'm working for this company, I ended up getting uh, in uh, a contact that hooked me up with a company out of Guelph. Um, it was a up and I wouldn't say up and coming, but they were changing their direction as far as where they wanted to see their company go. They were starting to bring in a lot more young talent um, as the older guys were leaving. And so I ended up packing up. I moved to Burlington. I joined the company and uh, the owner there, uh, I could not thank him enough. He gave me my first shot at being a superintendent. Um, and he really entrusted uh, a lot of us young guys to run these multi-million dollar jobs. And his his thought process was, I wanted to train these guys the way I want to build. And the only way to do that is start them out young because, I mean, the saying goes, can't teach old dogs new tricks, right? So I got an opportunity at 23 years old and I knew with this opportunity, I, I needed to do everything and anything to be successful at it. Yeah. So it meant I moved around the province. Uh, I made the sacrifice living out of a suitcase, traveling where the projects were. So I lived in Burlington. I lived in Guelph. I was in uh, Kingston. You know, I've traveled all over the province to work and uh, he gave me that opportunity and I never said no to him. So wherever he wanted me to go, I went and just so happened that, you know, when Kingston was finished, uh, you know, things had transpired personally that I decided to make the move back home to Niagara Falls. And uh, I decided to, you know, seek out a different challenge and I left there. But being that uh, that gentleman gave me an opportunity, I will be forever indebted to him for that. Yeah. So I wouldn't be where I am today without him. <laughs> Because I, you know, I could still be a laborer. You never know. But uh, I knew that in order for me to to be successful in what I wanted to do, I had to make those sacrifices. And a lot of people wouldn't have done that. Like I have a lot of friends that probably wouldn't have packed up and moved around the province. But I knew this is what I wanted to do and where I wanted to go. So I, I made that choice. So and talking about that journey, like I find sometimes you know you know my uh, my sister has a history degree from Western. Yeah. Awesome, super bright, way smarter than I ever was, especially when it comes to academics. Um, but when she got on a university, it was like, well, I don't want to be a teacher. What am I going to do? Mm -hmm. And I bring that up, obviously, you know, Julie, if you're listening, I, I don't mind tell, telling the story. But the big thing is about like people not knowing the direction or, or a good path to go. Yeah. And what I find sometimes is like in your construction industry, especially within the trades, people are like, oh, just do an apprenticeship. It's like, well, what is an apprenticeship? Mm -hmm. How does that work? Well, I think it's this and I think it's that. Yeah. It's okay. Well, how do you excel in it? Yeah. Right? Because, uh, you know, I was very fortunate. Again, I, I had a mentor, um, you know, that got me started really young and gave me that opportunity. Yeah. And I find, you know, in your industry, when you're talking about getting your gold seal, 
was there a directional path where you, did you know about that or it was just like, how do I be the best at this? And you did some self-discovery on that. So it actually, I only found out about gold seal when I started with that company, the, the superintendent, I was, I was started out as an assistant superintendent for a very short period of time. And I was working with a guy and he, and I'm like, what is this gold seal? And so he really didn't explain it too well. So I started researching it. Yeah. But at the time I wasn't, I was like very new to the superintendent world. And uh, so I started researching it and I was like, this is, this is, this is pretty cool. I'm like, not many people have it. I, I don't even, remember, I don't know the, the stat, but it's, I think I'm one in like, I don't know, a few thousand that have it. Wow. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know. Don't quote me on that. Yeah, but yeah. it's very, very, very minimal. So I didn't start per pursuing my gold seal until five years in uh, because I needed five years to to get it. But then as you know, five years came, it, it became a lot more difficult to get. So it just took a, that much longer. Uh, but when I started researching it, that's when I was like, you know what, this is something I really should have. If I, I mean, a lot of the people that were working on larger scale projects had a PNG or they had a university engineering degree. So they had that extra step on me. And I felt like I needed to, you know, excel and, and get something that was going to maybe get my foot in the door. And I felt like that was going to be the case. And, and, and so I pursued that because I wasn't going to go back to school, get my engineering. What the hell for? I mean, yeah, you know, it was, it's not, I'm not, wasn't going to design. I'm like, the only thing it is, it's an analytical thinking and problem solving, which I already started doing. So I just, I felt like I needed those letters next to my name in order to, to have that one step in the door. Yeah. So, which is super important, right? When you're when you're going paper to paper and someone doesn't know what yeah. you're doing or or know your skill set, it's a it's I find it's important to have. But at the same time, it's um, you know showcasing and having that resume like we yeah. talked about is is crucial. And in whatever you do, I find um, at that entry level, that barrier to entry is there. But kind of grinding and it's like, how do you get experience without experience, right? Yeah, uh, the grind for me was uh, like we talked about before. Like I put in you know 12, 14 hour days, you know <laughs> yeah, you Saturdays. Heard, yeah. You know, Sundays, uh, I remember uh, I was working on a project at McMaster University. I put in, I think it was like 24, 27 days straight in order to get occupancy on one, the first phase of the job. There was still four more phases after that. So I, like the grind, it's hard work. It's rewarding work, but it's hard work. As far as, you know, the experience aspect, how I had an advantage versus the generation before us was any time that I would like be on a job site or I would hear people talk, um, like they would bring up some like some type of high rise forming or whatever the case was. And uh, actually, a perfect example would be like I did a, I did a transfer station and uh, they were talking about SCADA and SCADA is all communications. I don't know anything about SCADA. So I'd go home, I'd Google, YouTube, 
Like I'd spend my nights researching like what this terminology is, how it gets put together, how these things are built in sequence so that when I sat in on meetings or I would talk to people that were older than me that I could understand what they were talking about because a lot of the generation before us, they didn't have that advantage. They didn't have the Google and the YouTube, yeah. LinkedIn to, to see how things are being built. They had to do it through experience. So. I was able to use that to my advantage. And for me, I found that things came to me very naturally, like uh, when it came to forming or any type of structure work or mechanical, um, a quick little YouTube search or a Google search, I was able to figure it out. And then obviously when you put, when you take that and, and Excel uh, and actually, you know, do the work, then you understand it, right? So, Totally. That's that's where how I got my experience, you know, and then not to say I'm perfect. I made mistakes, too. Everybody's going to make mistakes. You just got to limit them. Yeah. Right? Not not try and make a massive mistake that's going to cost the company hundreds of thousands of dollars. That's that could be detrimental for well, sure. And I'm sure at the scale that you guys are doing it, those are some of the mistakes. It can be. Yeah, absolutely. If, you, if, it you're, can if you're not be, uh, you know, properly trained and know what it, you're doing. It's it's yeah. The. <laughs> There was one mistake that I that I I wouldn't say I made, but uh, it was def definitely a decision that uh, we made collectively as a company that really really affected us and and uh, cost us you know you know forty fifty thousand dollars. Now that was my second job as a superintendent. I tell you, since then I won't make that second that same mistake twice. That's yeah. for sure. So. And, uh, you know, we were talking a little bit about health and safety and getting to the size and the scale that you guys are yes. at. And uh, with Ingenuity, you guys are doing some some large-scale projects, some medium-sized mm -hmm. scale projects. Mm -hmm. Talk about just how important health and safety is because I don't think, you know, if you guys aren't – if you're listening and you don't understand what that means, like – the the rigorous amount of work that needs to go into a daily operational business yeah. just to keep health and safety. So, um, yeah, so as a – uh, superintendent, you are technically responsible for the health and safety of everybody on your project. Mm -hmm. The government has, since last time, has increased fines. I, I don't quote me on how much, but we're talking hundreds of thousands if somebody were to get critically injured or killed on the job up to jail time. You are ultimately responsible for everybody's safety on the job. So the stress of that uh, it can be can be very uh, it can be hard on on somebody for sure. So as health, our health and safety is definitely number one on the project. Uh, you know, if it affects schedule, if it affects budget, it is what it is. At the end of the day, we want to see everybody go home. Um, it it's not fun when somebody gets injured. Uh, knock on wood, I have never had that situation. I hope to never have that situation. Uh, I'm sure everybody has seen on social media the other day where the guy was dangling from the tire crane in Toronto. Yeah. Um, that situation, you might laugh at that, but that is not, that is scary, man. Like, um, that superintendent, I do not want to be that superintendent on that job because you know the Ministry of Labor is going to be on you why how that happened why is that happening where's the safety documentation for your your lifts where is the crane operator uh, like we want to interview him like so i make sure that all my workers are properly trained they're following health and safety protocol uh, my team or our team uh, does the same like we 
we make sure that everybody is properly orientated, that they understand the risks, the hazards, everything to, that comes with the job. Um, I know some guys think they're superheroes and, you know, they can work from high up, not get tied off, but like there's zero tolerance for that with us. Like uh, the deaths in construction are number one in the workforce more than any other industry in, in the country. And uh, there's a reason for that. It's like, you know, it, people just, I guess they walk the line when it comes to the, the safety aspect. And, you know, I just don't want that happening on my job site. And I don't, and not as ingenuity. Like, you know, we take this stuff very seriously. Um, everybody has a family. Everybody wants to go home that night. And uh, you're, you're there to earn a paycheck, right? Yeah. You're there to earn a, a living so you can provide for your family. There's no reason why you should not be able to go home at night, right? So if it takes a little bit longer to do something, that's what we're going to do. And if it takes a little bit longer to get the job done, then that's what's going to happen. Because like, like I said, like, you know, there's things more important than work. Right? Yeah. So, well, and I think that's a, it's a, it's a huge eye opener for people to say, Oh, why don't you just do that? Or just jump off of this. Or, you know, we, um, we joke around about it, but you know, coming from different companies, yeah. the awareness is totally skewed. Yes. You know, the, across company basis and, and obviously multi different trades. It's, it's like, you know, sometimes you're, it's like a different world on another site. Um, we see it yeah. all the time with different GCs. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it, uh, and it, and it's could be just from site to site within the same company. It, yeah. it all it all depends on what your focus is. Totally. And my focus has always been health and safety. Um, you know, I'll tell a little story here because it's it's my own story. But I was working on a project, same project that I had that that fifty thousand dollar mistake. Um, it was con I, it was constant. MOL was showing up. It was a very very difficult project to begin with. I was. 24 years old like i was i was like greener than sod so mwall <laughs> kept showing up issuing me orders to fix this fix that and it was difficult like i had no labor at the time like i was doing it all myself um and finally you know mwall came we had a situation where you know the mason took down some guardrails to to lift up some material onto the second floor and they took out my guardrails never put it back between the time of him taking down that guardrail and the time of me trying to be able to reinstate that guardrail, Ministry of Labor had shown up and they issued me a summons to court to, for a fine. And let me tell you something, as a superintendent sitting, standing in front of a judge and a lawyer and explaining to him why that guardrail wasn't up, it's not fun. It's not fun. So I had been fined, you know, $1,000. And I left that courtroom that day and I admitted guilt. Yeah. Like I, I just didn't have the time to get up there and reinstate it right away. Mm -hmm. Um, I had called my boss and said, I don't care what's happening going forward. The main thing on this is the health and safety. I said, because it is not fun sitting in front of a judge and explain to him why the safety on the job wasn't up to par. Yeah. So ever since that day, I made sure that was my number one priority. And and if it affects other things, then it affects other things and find somebody else. But uh, since then, I tell that story all the time because people don't really understand. Like they, they see the fines, they see like, you know, the stories in the news. But until you actually, you know, experience it, it's different. Right. It's an eye opener for sure. 
Well, and just understanding what the repercussions are, right? Absolutely. And that was just minimal. Nobody was hurt. Yeah. It was just like. He just saw it. The guy saw it and he was just done with <laughs> yeah. being called. And, yeah. and uh, now imagine if this was a critical injury or, you know, somebody had killed themselves. It, it it's, could be a lot worse. Totally. A lot worse. So. Um, when you're talking about, uh, you know, working with daily operations, like, uh, you, you know, you, we were talking earlier, you got anywhere from 60 to 100 people on site. Yep. What's it like managing people um, for a positive outcome where you want guys and, and people on site, not just men, but um, people on site to, you know, be safe, but also push the envelope a little bit, create some good timelines, create some good communication, yeah. work together on site to, you know, to get that final goal. So I find that in order to establish that is most of my legwork's done at the beginning of a project. Okay. So when I get a project, I, most of my thinking and planning becomes, uh, starts at the beginning of the job and it carries through. And the whole thing to get some type of a flow where everybody's on board and we're pushing the envelope is that everybody needs to buy into that plan. Um, we talked about, you know, our project together on Stony Creek. And I, yeah. I bring this one up all the time, you know, started that job a month late due to permit issues or whatever the case was. We actually finished that job a month early. And it was all because everybody bought into the plan, you know, but your, your colleague that was there running the project in the beginning, I remember sitting down with him and say, okay, man, I need you to start your underground piping Landy in this Danny. location. Yeah. I understand your outlet is at the front of the building. I said, but I need you to start over here. He goes, but Rob, I never do that. I always go from the outlet and work my way back up. I'm like, I get it. But I will make your company money if you just follow this plan. So I laid out the plan for him. I said, I need you to calculate your fall from this part of the building to the outlet. You already know the invert here. So just calculate it how, how, what's the distance is. I said, then what we're gonna do is I'm gonna backfill everything nice. We'll lay the pipe in, we'll backfill on top. So we're not double digging everything. He's like, I'm like, I get it. You're gonna have to do a little bit extra thinking right now. I said, yeah. but it'll be a hundred times easier and faster and you will thank me later and he's like okay I'll, i believe it Let, let's make it happen and he did we were we were painting that building i remember beginning of december and we started in august so a two-story 14 million dollar school already had the roof on we were painting we were ready for finishes i in july i was twiddling my thumbs like what am i gonna do with the rest of the summer because <laughs> i was supposed to have this building done for september yeah and i'm done a month and a half earlier a month early so the biggest thing is everybody needs to buy into the plan now it sounds great but when there's somebody that doesn't actually follow the plan that's when it becomes super difficult and that's when i need to you know look into my leadership right? I need to dissect on how I'm delivering the plan. Like, yeah. is it something I'm doing wrong? Like, am I not giving the direction properly? And I look at it like, um, I'm sure you're familiar with Jacques Willick. Actually, I got his book over there. Yeah, yeah. So I look at it as like, is it me first? So I start, I start dissecting me. Okay. Am I not giving direction properly? Am I not giving the plans properly? So then what I do is I try and come up with a way of like, how can I simplify this so that they understand that it might seem weird the way we're doing it, but it makes sense because this, this, and this will fall into place. So 
I'll do my leg work and try and simplify it. If it gets to the point where they're still not following it, then I start to dissect on how they're running their team yeah, and what they're doing wrong or if they're doing anything correct or they're they're So I put my focus on them uh, and then I try to bring them back around so that they follow the plan. And nine times out of 10, they end up coming, falling back in, in line and things smoothen out. But, um, that portion there can be very, very difficult and taxing because my focus is taken, I wouldn't say taken off the project, but uh, I, I start to focus more on that and yeah. still trying to do everything else at the same time. But in order to, for everything else to flow smoothly, I need to get that back in place. Totally. So that's uh, when you, when you have a, a, a job site of over a hundred guys, 120, 130 guys, like I have, it, it becomes organized chaos, but the, the main word is organized. Yeah. And, and that's in I the beginning, that. in the beginning, that's where you, you, you make your, your, your initial steps. Mm-hmm. It might look like craziness, but everybody's flowing. And then when you sit in on your foreman's meetings and your meetings, you're like, okay, well, you're going to pour wall W678 this day, and then you're going to strip, and then you're going to pour walls 9, 10, 11 over here, and then you're going to do this on Thursday. And, and everything flows. Everything is a, a day-to-day basis. So, like, there is no downtime in a project. It's once you start, you're, you're go, go, go all the time. Right? I can imagine too, like especially the scale, right? Like yeah. you got crews that are there hundred percent of the time. Absolutely. You got yeah. a ta- like at one time I had a tower crane going. Uh, we have these modular washrooms that we were putting in the building. I had a crane installing those. Then I had another crane putting uh, exterior panels on. So with, you got three cranes going, you're pouring concrete. I'm flying this, I'm flying that. Like, but it's all organized. It's like, well, I'm not pulling this out of my ass. Here, yeah, right? yeah, this is can. all properly organized. Right. And that's how like a nice machine is flowing. But as soon as, some, as soon as one of those gears, you know, you know, pops off and just starts doing, deciding doing their own thing that it becomes an issue. Right. And then you got to try and get it back in line. Right. Totally. So, so, you know, we're getting to the end of the podcast and we always ask this question, what advice would you give to the younger version of you or someone coming into the industry that's that's maybe, you know, driven as much as you are? I think, you know, the biggest thing that I try and tell, you know, the younger guys that want to get in this type of industry is make the sacrifices. You know, uh, I don't regret one minute for what I did, like, you know, traveling living out of a suitcase to to have to you know take advantage of the opportunities and that that's basically it take advantage of the opportunities that are given to you because even if it's not the best paying job that you want don't look at it as money money will always come and I, and my father used to say to me find something that you love to do then make money at it find what you're passionate about in the industry if you're passionate about the carpentry aspect or plumbing aspect Take advantage of the opportunities and then eventually the money will come and you will give, you'll have the value to present to somebody to say like, you know what? I feel that I have enough value, enough experience that I can ask for what I want now. Mm-hmm. Right. Because I bring something to the table. Like if you don't have that, you, you don't bring anything to the table yet. So take advantage of any opportunity that's given to you, make the sacrifices and then, and then, excel on that and you know really use that opportunity or those opportunities uh to advance your career and and i mean 
in 13 years, all the opportunities that I was given, uh, uh, I took advantage of. Like they might have not been the best opportunities at the time, but for me, everything's a learning experience. And what I thought where I was going to be, you know, today, five years ago, is not exactly where I wanted to be. But, you know, I read this quote the other day that's, you know, map out your life, but do it in pencil. Right. So for me, <laughs> like in three to five years, like I, ha I have an idea of where I want to be, but an opportunity might come that could put me in a different direction or a totally. different path that could take me somewhere where, you know, it could be a lot better for me. Right. Uh, and so obviously focus on the now, take advantage of the opportunities and make the sacrifices. Yeah, right? I love it. So. When guys like, you know, tuning in, you know, thank you so much, Rob, for, for giving that insight and really understanding what the construction industry is like and, and the duration of time it takes to get there. It doesn't have to be that long, but to some people, you know, seven, eight years might feel like an eternity, yeah. especially when you're starting at the beginning. Oh my God, I can't believe that. Yeah. It goes by so much faster than you can imagine. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like the projects, you know, they seem they might take forever, but here I am. 36 years old yeah. um, by you know next year or in in two years i'm gonna have you know quarter if over a quarter of a billion dollars worth of work underneath my belt and in such a short amount of time so yeah like just yeah take advantage of all your opportunities man like Amazing. i try and tell i try and tell my younger guys there too i'm like listen you have a great opportunity take advantage of it because uh these don't come very often so. No, and they really don't. So, guys, that was the Guest Life Podcast, episode 39 with Rob Rampato. Um, we just want to thank him again. We always say this quote, why not me, why not now? And, and you know, Rob's an exceptional example of, of what that means and, you know, what can come from that with all the hard work and, and you know, dedication and sacrifice over the time. Um, you know, again, I'm very fortunate to know the story and, and yeah. see it firsthand and also work work alongside Rob in the trenches. So that, that's a big one. Um, so, guys, you know, Rob's Instagram, his handle, Ingenuity, everything's going to be um, in the link in our bio. So you can check him out, check out Ingenuity, see some of the projects Rob's worked on. Um, and, uh, yeah, Rob, thanks so much for being on. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. Yeah.